Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. of radio. Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. Coming back with you with a fresh new episode. I'm really excited about to be back behind the microphone once again. And believe it or not, I got nothing to complain about uh, as I record this episode. Everything's doing great. I just got back from vacation with my son. We went up to Vermont and and, and went skiing at Mount Snow. It was a really great time. And uh, I'm back. I'm refreshed. And I'm ready to go. So on this episode of the Judo Chop Suey podcast, I'm going to be talking about alternative judo. And what I mean by that is alternative judo tournaments, alternative judo organizations, alternative judo practice habits. So everything's going to be about alternative judo uh, today. And along those lines, I'm going to be bringing back a guest of mine, a friend, uh, one of LAPD's finest, Mr. Tabrin Lee. He's going to be talking about USA Judo's newest tournament style called Judo Submission Grappling. I'm also going to be doing a video review of one of Judo Fanatic's video called uh, The Ultimate Takedown Series, and it features Travis Stevens. I'm going to review that after the interview. And I'm going to briefly talk about a few alternative judo organizations that are out there that you may not be aware of in the event that you're one of those practitioners that are is not fond of the competition style of judo and and how it's currently practiced in most clubs around the world but before i get into that I want to take a few moments to talk about the war that is happening between Russia and Ukraine and how that will impact uh, the judo landscape, certainly in that region, to say the least. I would like to approach this topic being as unpolitical as possible, but it's really impossible to talk about war without bringing up the politics of the situation in some way, shape, or form. So yes, I understand that this war is about many things. You know, you can talk about the the economic issues. You can talk about the security issues. But ultimately, from my point of view, I I think this is a war of of deep-seated belief. And what's interesting to me is that when I see articles reference uh, Putin, 
They talk about how he was a former KGB agent. And honestly, I think in, in Putin's mind, there's probably no such thing as a former KGB. And in Putin's mind, there's probably no such thing as a former Soviet Union. So he sees Ukraine. He sees that entire region as part of the Soviet Union, the USSR. And this invasion is not recognizing the independence of Ukraine. Putin once again shows his true colors of who he is as a person, as a character, as a leader. And he's a very dangerous man. And the concern here is that if Ukraine falls, you've got the Russian army on the borders of Poland and Romania. And what's going to happen when NATO brings their troops over there on those borders? I mean, he currently doesn't have to worry about Belarus because that that government there is pro-Putin. So... They are friends in that regard. I, the, the whole thing is a mess. It's it's bringing serious instability to that region. And I stand with Ukraine. I stand with the independence of Ukraine. Now, a few days ago, uh, Daria Bilodid, who is the double world champion and current uh, Olympic bronze medalist in the Tokyo Games, uh, a few days ago, she wrote this on her Instagram and Twitter. Today, I woke up at 6 a.m. from the shootings in Kiev. I have no words. I am very afraid, and I pray for my family and my country. Russia started bombing us. The war started. Until recently, I did not believe this could happen. Why? Why ruin people's lives? Russia and Belarus, stop. We want peace. We want to live. Now, just a few hours ago on... Uh, February 27th, the time of this recording, she had another Instagram post and she stated the following. Life can change dramatically in three days. My country was attacked by Russian troops, our Ukrainian territory. They are bombing and killing people. They have deprived me of my home and my beloved Kiev. People are hiding in bomb shelters and the subway and women are giving birth there. They are... uh, Borders, hungry without homes, do not know where to flee to save themselves and their children. Do we deserve it? Faces and in humans. We will never forgive you. You will live with this shame. Your children will live with this shame. The whole world hates you. But we, the Ukrainian people, are united. We are together and for each other to the end. I want to express my incredible gratitude to the armed forces of Ukraine. Thank you for protecting us, for fighting to the end and defending our lives and independence. You are heroes. Know that you and I will not give up until the end. Glory to Ukraine. Now, just to keep in mind, that was uh, I read that verbatim, so there's probably some translation errors. But the heart of that message and the strength of that message is crystal clear to me. Now, unfortunately, the International Judo Federation's response to this war is not nearly as strong. So on February 25th on the International Judo Federation's website, a news article came out and the headline is Judo for Peace. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, hey, here's an article about uh, the war in Ukraine and how maybe the international judo community can help uh, the athletes and the people of Ukraine in some way, shape, or form in terms of charities or whatever. So I click on the link and this is how the article reads. The International Judo Federation announces with regret the cancellation of the 2022 Grand Slam in Kazan, Russia, which was planned to be held uh, between May 20th through the 22nd, 2022. 
We are saddened by the current international situation, the result of inefficient dialogue at the international level. We, the sports community, must remain strong and united to support each other and our universal values in order to always promote peace and friendship, harmony and unity. The Judo family hopes that the current unrest can be solved in the last moment to reestablish normality and stability in Eastern Europe and the world, to once again be able to focus on the diverse cultures, history, and legacy of Europe in the most positive way. Now, I'm sorry to say, IJF, that is a very weak statement. The headline was weak, and your wording of this article was extremely weak. And this was written allegedly by Mr. Marius Wieser, the president of the International Judo Federation. And look, I understand that Wieser has a personal relationship with Mr. Putin, but you can't be unafraid to take a stand for what is right. And what is right in this instance is to stand with the people of Ukraine against this kind of tyranny. So let me take a moment to fix the article and read how it should have been written. All right, let's see. The International Judo Federation announces that due to the Russian war against Ukraine, the Grand Slam in Kazan, Russia, which was planned to be held between May 20th through the 22nd, has been canceled. We are saddened by this war against the people of Ukraine, the result of an unprovoked invasion by the Russian army. We, the sports community, must remain united and strong to support each other and our universal values in order to always promote peace and friendship, harmony and unity. The Judo family hopes that the current war can be ended through diplomatic means to reestablish normality and stability in the region, to Eastern Europe and to the world. To once again be able to focus on the diverse cultures, history, and legacy of Europe in the most positive way. Now, that's how it should have been written. And you know, one other thing that I take exception to in the original statement is calling the war a quote-unquote international situation as a result of quote-unquote inefficient dialogue. And then later on in the article, it calls it unrest. I mean, that's absurd. Do you know what unrest is? It's the opposite of rest. Unrest is when I hear a loud noise in the middle of the night and I can't get back to sleep. Unrest is when my dog refuses to move when I'm trying to get to sleep and and wakes me up. Unrest is if I've had too much to drink the night before and I can't get a good night's sleep because I'm constantly running to the bathroom. That's unrest. What is happening here is war. I really hate that word unrest. I think it's one of the weakest words in the dictionary. And it's a word used by weak people and a weak media that's afraid to tell the truth of what's going on here and in other instances where that word unrest is used. Violence, destruction of personal property, bombing of buildings, shooting at people, that is not unrest. Now, for those of you who may not know, uh, Vladimir Putin is also the honorary president and ambassador for the International Judo Federation. And as, as, as of this recording, excuse me, On February 27th, the International Judo Federation had a follow-up announcement, which goes, In light of the ongoing war conflict in Ukraine, the International Judo Federation announces the suspension of Mr. Vladimir Putin's status as Honorary President and Ambassador of the International Judo Federation. Now, this article is a little bit stronger in its wording. 
it's the first time the IJF has used war with regards to this actual war happening between Russia and Ukraine. But to me, a suspension does not go far enough here. And look, I understand that Putin has been a large figure in the judo world. He's done more for promoting judo than than I could ever hope to do. He's written books. He's done instructional videos. And he's currently the only head of state that has a Don rank in any martial art. And for Mr. Putin, it's judo. I believe he's a Kodokan Hachidan, which is a very high judo rank. So he's done a lot for judo and, and has been an ambassador for judo. But this action by his government goes too far. And I feel that this is one of those things that you just can't turn a blind eye to anymore. So suspending his status, is, it just doesn't go far enough for me. Now going back to the actual sport of judo, the cancellation of the Kazan Grand Slam is a significant one because we already lost Dusseldorf this year. If, if I didn't report that in the last episode, I'm letting you know now that the Dusseldorf Grand Slam has also been canceled due to financial reasons. Now, for those of you who may not be aware, these tournaments offer a lot of qualification points for the Olympics. And the Olympics, like I said, for for Paris, a little more than two years away. And honestly, two years from now, we're going to know exactly who is going to be at the Olympics and who is not for the most part. Now, of course, I completely understand this is a small issue compared to the illegal invasion uh, by Russia into Ukraine. But from a sports standpoint, this is a big deal for for all athletes involved, including the Ukrainian team, which I don't know how the International Judo Federation will handle the Ukrainian national team and their inability to acquire points. Because listen, if Kiev falls, they're going to have to find another place to train. So with that being said, I'm going to leave this topic alone for the rest of the podcast. But I felt like I would be remiss if I didn't mention this at all. And for me, there's no smooth way for me to transition into what I actually want to talk about on this episode. So I'm just going to go ahead and take a hard pivot right about now. So at the USA Judo National President's Cup, which was held uh, a few months ago now on November 21st, there was a new tournament format added to that event uh, in falling under the label of exhibition category. It was called Judo Submission Grappling. Now, on the on the official USA Judo website uh, for that tournament, it had stated, in an effort to broaden the reach and participation of competitors at the 2021 USA Judo President's Cup, an exhibition category has been added called Judo Submission Grappling. A combination of grappling arts, JSG, encourages the big throws of judo with the ground fighting and submission holds of Nawaza. So instead of me talking about what this tournament is all about with the rules and everything, I'm going to bring on Mr. Tabron Lee. He is one of the people behind getting this tournament up and running. And he is a police officer for the Los Angeles Police Department. And he runs the Hollywood PAL, uh, which is Police Athletic League. Now, for those of you outside of the United States or maybe in the United States, the Police Athletic League is a community outreach program uh, that is a national program across all cities and and such. Tabron has also been running the P3 program, which is another uh, police 
training program called Police Professionals and Pal. That's where P3 comes from. So without any further delay, I would like to bring on Tabrin Lee. Tabrin, welcome back to the Judo Chop Suey podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's uh, great to be back on the podcast. This is your third appearance on the podcast, if I'm not mistaken. That ties you for a record with, uh, with one Mr. Jonah Ewell. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, how's, uh, how's things been going on with you and, and all your involvement with judo, uh, particularly with P3? What's been going on with that? Well, we actually had a good year. We had, um, I want to say, four, we can call them seminars and um, showcases where we actually do our certification. So we, we have three products with it, basically. We have an executive lecture, then we have a seminar, then we have what's called a trainer-trainer course. So we did one up in Wyoming, which was the first trainer-trainer course. That was back in March of 2021. That's right. With, then, uh, I believe, Justin Smith. Is that right? Yes, at the Wyoming Law Enforcement um, right. Academy. Um, then we did one in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where we had multiple agencies from those surrounding areas come to that. We did a nice seminar. And then we did one up in um, the state of Washington at their um, Criminal Justice Institute as well. So Okay, I was not real... aware of that one. Yeah, we just did that one in December. So we finished the year off pretty strong with that. And we got a lot of good media coverage. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to really rock it this year. You know, it's I think this is going to be a good year with it because people are noticing we have something great to offer. One benefit about our program compared to others is that it's by law enforcement for law enforcement. So all the nuances, we get it. Everyone on our task force is on the job currently or have done the job. So and then also because of that, we're able to operate in a way where we're flexible. Because, you know, one thing a lot of people don't know, um, policing is not monolithic at all. You know, there's 18,000 different police agencies in this country. So what that means is like, imagine back in our day of department stores, you know, you had Robinson's May, you had Macy and all these companies there, they fall under retail, but they're their own companies with their own policies and procedures. Right. So then that means that it's, there's not a, what, a, a single uniform agency that controls everything. There is not. Okay. We're not South America. where like the government leads the police force. We have state, county, and municipalities, you know? And so the highest is the state in most states. There's no federal police force that goes out on patrol in any of our 50 states or our territories. That's not how the federal agencies work. So we actually don't have a federal police force that's gonna come and patrol your streets. Now, yeah, there's FBI and other federal agencies that do specific things, but they don't do your day-to-day -day policing. Nine times out of 10, your city is gonna have its own police force, or if they don't, they're gonna contract with the county sheriff. And those are gonna be the guys that you're interacting with. So just as a follow-up here, because I. I just recently, um, I, I watched a really interesting documentary on Netflix called, uh, I think called 137 Shots. And, you know, it, it was a it was a discussion on the Cle uh, Cleveland Police Department and police reform and such. So if I understand correctly, and I, 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 may, I didn't know this, but it sounds like when it comes to the subject of police reform, that would happen at a in, in an individual precinct level 
and not at a higher level of, of, of government. Do I have that right? Or yes and no. Okay. So it would happen at a department level. So let's say this, like the government, like, for example, like a lot of agencies will fall under what's called a federal consent decree. Okay. Basically to make this really easy, the government says you need to change this, 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 and this, and they're going to track you while you make these changes. You're going to stay under their radar until you make these changes. Now, they don't do that with all the agencies across our country, okay? Generally, if you're a bad boy or girl and you got in trouble, then you're going to get spanked by them. And that's the only time you have federal control. So when people, you know, say the police force, well, which one are you talking about? Because there's yes, 18,000. Exactly. Right. And out of those 18,000, some could have a personnel of two people, you know? It could be some little, you know, but that's how many we have. So, like I said, if you look at them like companies, okay, you got Burger King, McDonald's, and Wendy's. Yeah, they all sell burgers, fries, and shakes, but they all got different policies. They wear different uniforms. You understand? Yeah, I, I completely hear you. So, what do you do? Do you have anything planned for P three in in twenty twenty two? Do you have uh, anything scheduled coming up? Yeah, we have a couple of courses scheduled for several agencies. I won't make name to the mention because some of them's in the works, but we already have a schedule mapped out. And for those interested, go to the USA Judo website, P3. It has a link with all our information. Um, you, you just put in that you have interest and someone will get right back to you and we'll call and discuss what your needs are and how we can set it up. So we're always, we're taking hosts as we speak right now. Excellent. We just, Excellent. Matter of fact, I just got hear. off the phone with a, a department here in California that's interested in, um, uh, shout out to Marty Malloy because she's responsible for setting it up. One of her old teammates is a detective for this agency, which also the chief I met at the PAL convention last year. So it's kind of funny how this ended up happening, but it's a strong possibility we'll be teaching a course, a trainer trainer course with this agency. Fantastic. I, I hope that uh, works out for you and, and certainly for USA Judo. Now, speaking of which, the reason why I brought you on here is because I recently was made aware, probably in the past uh, couple of months, about this new grappling tournament put out by USA Judo. I believe it was at the Dallas Invitational. Do I have that correct? You are correct on that. And that, and it's something called Judo Submission Grappling. But I'm bringing you on because it's my understanding that you're actually the brainchild behind that, or at least one of the brainchilds behind that. It is, if, if that's the case, which I believe it is, how did you come about this? If it, was it you? Was it was it a collaboration of people? How, how did you come up about this new uh, grappling uh, format? So, you know, since last year, I started using the word developer because like wrestling, no one can create that, you know, but there's so many different styles. Right. So all we do, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. So it's some of us that get a little more creative and we kind of develop something that already had an idea. Well, I had been working this for a long time. I brought this to USJA and other people and they said, yeah, yeah, this sounds great. And then I started seeing like these coaching judo things happen. And so my idea behind it, and yes, I had help with my sensei, Mike Verdugo and several others that helped with the process. And USA Judo is the biggest help because they say yes to the dress, right? Right. So we're able to display it and make it happen. Well, what I started noticing is I love the idea of coaching judo. Sounds cool, right? But I'm always thinking about marketing, okay? BJJ is well-marketed here. There's no debate about that, 
Okay? No, definitely not. And so what I started noticing with all these different organizations that are doing their coach and judo, uh, there's no uniformity to it at all, you know? And then also trying to create or rebrand something that was old, it's almost impossible these days. Here's the truth. When you think of grappling, what is the first grappling style that comes to your mind? Well, for me, it's wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, that's wrestling. When you think grappling, you think submission. So mostly it's going to be BJJ. You're not going to think Sambo or um, some other style with locks for the most part. BJJ right. is it. Yeah. You know, it's just what it is. Okay. And if you want to get into submission grappling, you probably go to BJJ because there's an abundance of schools. Okay. So I do BJJ, as you know, I'm a BJJ black belt as well. Yeah. And what I looked at was, hmm, how can I make both these two platforms better? Because we've had many conversations. I always say, look, judo's growth and success will be through BJJ and wrestling because they're already doing something like what we're doing. You know, we got to stop trying to create it from the ground up. And it just takes too long when you already have. It's like if I want to really develop the rugby program here in the United States, well, they get people who used to play football. And teach them rugby. It's easy. You know, they don't, I mean, they have Pop Warner rugby programs, but they're not as popular as Pop Warner football. That's so a right. A lot of yeah. people that do rugby, they've played football or, you know, hey, they're just people who want to have fun and they learn it. It's not difficult, right? So, anyway, fast forward so I don't get too far off topic. I started writing rules for a different type of submission grappling jacketed grappling that is years ago i submitted it with usja we we're supposed to do something we never did it so here we fast forward to 2021 usa judo said yes right so what i did was i said okay i looked at why people don't go for takedowns in bjj in a bjj tournament it's the hardest two points to try and score oh yeah that's that's true for sure you know like there's so many other ways to score two points and takedowns because of the way it's set up in BJJ, you have to take them down in a clean manner and also basically pass the guard and hold them for three seconds. So you got to do a takedown with a pin. Now, when you look at wrestling and judo, that's not how it's done. If it's a clean takedown, it's a takedown. Yeah. There's no, I have to pin them right away and hold it for three seconds to get my two point takedown. Okay. So that's the flaw we saw with why BJJ doesn't do takedowns. Then in judo, you got to rush for the submission because that's just how it works on high level judo. And for some reason, that seems to be what we always try to train, okay? We don't train judo as the martial art that it really is. So you take those two problems. BJ, BJJ guys want to get better takedowns. Judo guys want to get better submissions. And here's the truth, man. And your audience might get mad, but they know it's the truth. Everyone today is a closeted BJJ practitioner that does judo and vice versa. I'm in both worlds. Everyone's cross-training. We have been for about the past 10 years, you know? And it's funny, when you go to the national judo tournament, how many hardcore judokas will have a BJJ t-shirt on of the team that they're affiliated with? Yeah, okay? yeah, I, I completely agree. It really, <laughs> I, I, I think you and I would agree that at the end of the day, it really is, it, it really is just all just grappling. Yeah. You know, and all of it, and all of it helps, in my opinion. <laughs> Exactly. And so that's the idea behind this. How can we come up with a grappling rule set that will enhance 
the specific grappling styles and rules you're doing. Okay. And so I looked at, okay, when you practice, you don't practice for points, you just roll, right? Like, because right. in judo, same thing. If we're doing Tachi Wilder, we're going to throw each other. We don't stop as soon as you fall. You get back up and we go again, right? Yeah, you don't stop course. your Randori session. Well, same thing BJJ. If we're doing a six-minute round and I tap you five times, you tap me four. Do we stop nine times like it's over? Or do we continue going and it happened within that six-minute uh, training session? Yeah, of course. We, we, you, you keep going. I I have exactly. the shortest memory for submissions. I, as, soon as, <laughs> as soon as I tap out, it's it's you go. That's it. So so my idea was like, how do we create a competition format that's similar to the way you actually train? Now, of course, to win, you know, you you in judo submission grappling, you end up winning by the submission. Okay, that's the term. But what I brought to this was like, okay you're allowed to get in bad positions and it doesn't cost you all this points where it's going towards what will really work in a street situation. And even if you want to transition to MMA, like you can't name many IBJF world champions that are champions in MMA. Okay. Because for MMA, you got to have golden gloves level boxing high school to college level wrestling and only like a blue belt in BJJ. This is the truth. Okay. So you have to have higher wrestling and boxing than you do BJJ. Because- I, I, I agree. I, I, I think, I think BJJ for MMA is, is a little overrated. I mean, it's way overrated. There, there's a, lo- there's a like lot of jujitsu black belts out there in MMA, of course, but th- this idea that you need, High level jujitsu to succeed in MMA. I think that 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 went away in the nineties, as far as I'm Justin Portier. I remember him beating. He was a blue belt at the time, and in MMA he beat a jujitsu black belt. Okay, when he was a blue belt, John Jones has beat numerous BJJ black belts. And I'm not saying this is discredit or something. I'm just giving the facts. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My point is this: when you mix it up, you need that blue belt level because you need the awareness of submissions. But because of the drive. And the grind that you need from wrestling, it's completely different. And jujitsu guys don't have that grind. Okay. You're seeing it more with the no gi stuff because of the nature. It's, I don't even believe in the term no gi. To me, it's submission wrestling. Okay. My point is this there's not many tournaments for the IBJF or even USA Judo, which follows the IGF rule set, where it's truly developmental, meaning I can go there and just have a good time, you know, where it's fun. It's just want to be high level competition. And why do I say want to be? Because for us in judo, the truth is this. Most of our guys that are on the um, IGF trail, they don't have to compete in our country. They need to compete elsewhere where the points are high enough so they can make the points. Like right now, guys trying to go to 2024, they don't need to do not one American tournament for points. These points yeah. here don't do much, okay? Yeah, they need absolutely. international points, okay? So then now let's take the BJJ side, IBJF. Well, here's the truth about IBJF. It's a private company. Now, people are under the belief that, oh, it's the governing body. It's not a governing body. It's the same thing if you, Judo Dave Roman, went and started a mega tournament circuit, okay? You're the president slash CEO of this company. You don't answer to anyone. And what I mean, USA Judo answers to the United States Olympic Committee and the IJF. They have to satisfy them to stay in the good graces so that our athletes can filter on that Olympic journey. There's right. no Olympic journey for jujitsu. 
Right, okay, right. at least on the IBJF, there is an actual true governing body. That's a JJF, okay, which they're trying to get jujitsu in the Olympics, okay. And most people don't know this; they just think because the IBJF, the IBJF does great tournaments. That's what they do. They are a tournament machine. Right, right. But you win an IBF world champion, that doesn't mean anything in the international world of governance, okay? They're not under any Olympic committees. They're just a private company that does really great tournaments. So my point is this. You have organizations with true international governance and others without, okay? Now, here's a plus, the IBJF, because they're a private company here in America, well, private companies do well, you know? It's like Elon Musk. Hey, when you develop a private company, the sky is a limit, okay? So it has an appearance, but there's no governance behind it, okay? So my point is this, because you have these two organizations, when you compete, you're, you're trying to compete at what you feel is the highest level, right? And then we talk this thing about developmental grassroots, whatever you want to call it. Well, where do you really have that if everything is really just high level for your opportunity to compete? You never really have developmental competitions. It just kind of doesn't exist. So the birth of judo submission grappling, I want you to get better at standing and I want you to get better at ground. Here's a platform for you to do that. So when when we're talking about this this judo submission grappling i I, what i want to do is cover some of the for for the sake of the listeners go over what the rules are and then i have some follow-up questions with with regards to the rules so if i get any of this wrong please feel free to interrupt and correct me so the scoring for this grappling rule set judo submission grappling you've got four points so this is a point system so four points for high amplitude throws or takedowns and that that by high amplitude throws we're talking about the feet come off the floor floor and you land on your back or side you will get awarded two points for any wrestling takedown or or the equivalent of a judo the old yuko for for those that remember that uh snap downs where you spin and take the back will also score as two points um, guard pulls are allowed, but they award two points to the other guy or, or girl doesn't matter. Yeah. Part, player, whatever. Yeah. Now for Nawaza scoring, you've got, you award two points for any guard pass or back control. And you, you award one point for Mount neon belly, a sweep, a submission attack attempt where the opponent is in danger. So d- d- is there anything that I'm missing in regards to the rules? No, you okay. got it. So let, let's simplify it because here's the thing. I kept it simple for a reason because here's the truth. People like to talk a lot of crap, but one thing is this. All rule sets start simple, right? Then you make a big rule book where it gets convoluted like the IJF. Well, this is the birth. Why make something convoluted? We all know what a high amplitude throw is. That's why I gave the example of an Epon or Wazari. Okay? So in judo term, you know that. If you're a wrestler, you know what a high amplitude throw is. So I'm using terminology that's familiar to people grappling. Okay? Because the expectation was we're going to get people who already grapple, which is what we got at the tournament. Okay? So if you notice about that, we use the BJJ scoring system 
but we just gave you more points for takedowns and throws. Like I said, BJJ is very popular here. Everyone's familiar with that scoring system. So we use the same scoring system. We just tweaked it to create more exciting players, okay? And it worked out when we had the tournament. But ask me some more details of the confusion. Like, you, I think you were saying a back control. So in BJJ, everyone knows what back control is. You take the back, you got the hooks, you got the seatbelt for the most part. That's back control. Okay. Plain, simple English. Right, right. Because that's so, and, and this is where I think, um, where I had a little bit of confusion. I, and I would suspect that other people had some confusion as well. Because there's a lot of Brazilian jiu jitsu terminology that, for maybe some pure judo purists, they may not understand. I, I believe it or not, I, I, it wouldn't shock me if there's some judo purists out there that, uh, and I don't mean judo purists in a, in a negative connotation, but you know, what does a back control actually mean? You, you know uh -huh. what I mean? So, but along going along those lines, where is the judo in the sense that one of the most defining things for judo is the ipon and is the osaikomi? And I don't see any, any um, ability to win on a solid throw on any pawn or via an osaikomi. And, and to me, that's always been kind of the, the hallmark of judo has always been the, the ability to win by Ipon. So what would be your, your response to that? Um, why did well, you decide to eliminate the Ipon in this grappling uh, rule set? Well, it's funny you say that. Technically, Ipon's not eliminated. Ipon by throw is. Ipon just means, hey, you win. Okay to most of us now i know a lot of us because we're used to the competition ijf it's all about the throw and all that but like i said earlier do you train that way do you train hey you do randor you eat on one person you go home you're done training for the day no, does that happen not. no okay so it's funny to me and this is why people have to open their mind more okay because this is meant for development Okay, and it's meant for us to have fun. Like right now, if you go to some of the competition, it's not fun. It's like this thing, like we're having an issue with referees. We're trying to get them to say, look, you don't treat a six-year-old the way you do someone getting IGF points. You understand? Yeah. So this is a way <laughs> yeah. to bring the fun back to it, okay? And bring more people where like, yes, that's fine. If you want to do that style, do it. Same thing. You want to do IBGF, BJJ, do it. This is just another avenue for people to have fun with it again, okay? Where, okay, you, it's a four-minute match. Go at it. I want you to get creative. Hey, if you want to work throws, throw them. Throw them, get back up. Throw them, get back up, okay? Work your pin, hold it. You know, maybe get the neon belly to score some points. If not, go for your strong suit. But it's going to make everyone better because if you are you don't do throws, well, you're going to have to learn throws because a person can... can Throw you and get back up. You have to earn everything. If you really look at the rule set, it's about earning things. It's not about just you being given something. You have to earn it. That's the whole intention behind it. But that's fun because we practice that way. Why not have a competition format that way? Okay. I think that I think that's a that's a great idea. I I that you know when I was asking these <laughs> questions that that was a that was a context I I never really considered when when looking at these rules here. This is the intention is fun, first and foremost. You know, we always say that for competition, but no, that was my true intention. 
And everyone that competed, they had a blast. Shoot, there was this one guy, Abetus. Oh, my God. This guy should be the next Olympian. But he pulled off two suplexes back to back. I mean, it was gorgeous. All right. That was eight points. Right. All right. But it was just like people got to do things because you can grab legs. You can do all the stuff from the judo the way you and I learned it. That's another thing. Okay. You get to do judo the way it's supposed to be. If you take a side, well, it doesn't have Epon. Who cares? You want Epon? Go do regular. All right. And look at what we did. We didn't even charge people for this. Okay. Yeah. How did, how did, well, we, so how did that work out there? Because, because it's a USA judo sanctioned event. Uh-huh. Does that, does that mean that? these people who competed had to sign up to become members of USA judo. Yes. And so that's another part. Remember I told you this a long time ago, wrestling and BJJ is going to be our savior to grow judo. So we have to give them something that attracts them. If I just do your typical Epon judo, how's that going to attract these other people to judo? See back in the day in um, from the eighties to the nineties, a lot of wrestlers were attracted to judo. Why you had leg grabs. It was just jacketed wrestling. I know we don't like the term, but that's the fact, okay? Now we've made judo less and less attractive to people that didn't grow up just doing judo. Well, that doesn't work for us Americans. Maybe that works in Europe and some of the other Asian countries, but that don't work here. We're getting more people after wrestling going to BJJ rather than coming to judo. Yeah. That, that, and that's, How is that helpful for the growth of judo? Yeah, that, that's, that's not helpful at all. And, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, because, and I don't, I don't know if it strictly has to do with leg grabs, but you know, what I, what I think is that there is a potentially untapped market or, or a market that needs to be retapped when it, mm-hmm. when it comes to wrestlers after their, their scholastic careers are over with, you, you know, and, and, the bulk of those guys are going into jujitsu, you know, how, how we fix the problem, you know, that, that can always be up for debate, but there's no debate that there is a problem in the, in that sense. Um, and what that being said, Dave, that's all this was. It's a try. You get what I'm saying? Of course. And, yeah. And the thing is this, I listen, if we're doing it at a judo tournament, I already got judo players there. I don't need to attract them. If they want to sign up, they see it's another division. They're going to do it if they want to or not. Okay. And people liked it. Okay. It wasn't hard. Right. So my real success would have been guys outside of judo come and get the USA judo membership trying this. Okay. Because once they try this, they're trying judo. You understand? You sometimes look, when you go fishing, do you use the bait you want or use a bait that works? That's tried and proved, you know? Yeah. You use the bait that works. And you know, the thing is what's really interesting here. And it just dawned on me. Is, you know, on the last episode of my podcast, I talked about this, um, the the collaboration between USA Judo and and uh, American Judo, you know, put up by, you know, Jimmy Pedro and, and, and that team. What's interesting to me here is that if you get wrestlers who, you know, try a tournament like this, but in order to do that, they have to become members of USA Judo. Well, now, if you become a member of USA Judo, you're, you're, you're given a library of what is considered to be official, you, you know, uh, you know a, a library of how to do specific Judo techniques. You, you know what I mean? It's, it's certainly a, I would think it's a win in that regard as well. Well, the real big win, and hats off to Jimmy Page or Travis and Keith, 
for being great men to work this out and make it happen, first off, okay? What we're having right now, and same thing, Keith, like, hold oh, a P3, the Judo Submission. Listen, man, we're coming with more products. Americans are getting together to really make Judo work. After this, I got to call um, my son's base to do a follow-up with some training. We're trying to get mil military and Judo back together. Yeah. You know, it's us who has to fix it. And this is what I say, like, and this is why I like your show. We don't really bash. We actually talk about solutions here. You know, the truth is this, man. COVID did a number on us. Yes. And USA did. Judo was the only one that really put out the higher level tournaments. There are some other great people that had their tournaments and kudos to them. All right. But out here in California, we haven't had a tournament in two years. OK, yeah, yeah, actually, right. I'll take that back. Shout out to Hollywood Dojo. That's Dojo. right. They did have something, Dojo. right? And Sawtell, they had something what I had been trying to put together for the longest, which is like we do in wrestling. They had a dual meet competition amongst the dojos. We need to see more of that. Uh, I, I've been saying that for creative. years. Yeah, yeah we, we, listen. Go for it, brother. Yeah, I was just going to say, you, you know, in, in terms of getting students exposure to to uh, to, to Shi'ai and, and competition, we don't need to, to fly or drive hundreds of miles, pay for hotels and stuff. There, there, I would love to see more, uh, you, you know, dojo v. dojo type meets and, and, and that kind of thing. J just to be able to get kids and, and e even adults uh, exposure to, to competition without, without really all the rigmarole of, of, of getting here, to a competition, which is a big deal. It's huge. It is huge. And here's the thing. In order to grow judo, we need numbers. Okay. There's numbers in wrestling. There's numbers in football. There's numbers in BJJ. We need those guys. Okay. Because in order to get the high level athletes, look, do the, excuse me, do the math. If we have a hundred thousand judoka, isn't the 1% of a hundred thousand greater than that of 10,000? Yes. So if we get to the point where we have 500,000 or a million well, there goes our higher level because that's only the 1%, okay? So when we get to the point where we have a million people participating in this, you're going to see the elite level rise. As the recreational level rises, the elite will rise because it's simple math, all right? Yeah, there's more. There, there would be, uh, you know, ID, I mean, a, a million would be, I, I think, just over the top. But it'd I mean, be over the top. But you get my point. Look, at I get football. your point. You, you look, need look you at need, basketball. You need numbers. You, you need numbers because out of that, the cream rises to the top. And, you know, let's let's say I, I've always made this argument as well that if we I mean, what would happen if the, the wrestler who maybe got. I don't know how, how wrestlers make it to USA wrestling to represent, you know, the United States, but what would happen if we got the guy that just missed out on his opportunity to represent the United States in the Olympics and wrestling? What if that We've guy, this talk, exactly. yeah. What if that guy listen. would be, we go up to him and say, listen, you know, you missed a shot in wrestling. Why don't, why don't you give judo a chance? You know, you're, I, I you're 22 years old. More. You're I call 22 it the wrestling rejects. You know what I mean? It's the wrestling reject. Okay. I, I, listen, I can't agree more, man. The wrestling rejects more. are probably better athletes than I, I, look. I, I I don't mean this in a negative way toward any athletes on Team USA, but I would venture to guess, given the amount of hours and such that they that they train, and given the 
given the formality of and, and the structure of USA wrestling, that they are probably better athletes overall than what we have in judo right now. Look, we're Americans. We got some of the best athletes. And that's what you, I got a guy who trains me. Okay. This guy would have made professional football. He had a medical condition. That's the only reason he, he didn't. Yeah. But the way he picks the stuff up because he was an athlete is far different to some of the people who weren't so athletic that I trained. Right. I have another student who's, I'm just, he could easily be a purple belt right now in BJJ, but I want him to be able to, hey, because just in-house, he's training with me and one of my other guys who are way better than him, but he's 20 years old and the guy's a stud, okay? Yeah. He's a stud, but he's an athlete. He was a quarterback. He can think. He's an athlete. People, we know how to make athletes. And this is the conversation I had yesterday with one of the people um, who was requesting our services. I said, look, we got to start thinking of this a different way. Right now, if your kid was to go out and say, play baseball and they were short on coaches and they said, Hey Dave, man, could you help us out? What do you do? You know, actually, you know, help Serena and Venus Williams father. He knew nothing about tennis. He was their first coach. Yeah. He studied. Okay. Are those girls not some of the best athletes this country has ever produced? Absolutely. And they started with a guy who never played tennis. Okay. Learned the ropes. Look at that story. Don't take my word for it. But look at what we are used to doing as Americans. All right. We know how to make it happen. And if we get, if we take athletes like you're saying and just teach them another sport, uh, Deion Sanders, baseball and football, we make athletes. Judo is no different. It's these guys that have this little myth that, you know, the master that sat below the waterfall and only ate one grain of rice and all this nonsense. Okay, listen, that sounds great in the storybook, but this is real world. Okay, we got to approach it as athletes. And that's credit to the point you just made. So I want to get back a little bit to some of the, the rules and maybe how you so how did how did you get referees up to speed on this? So that was simple. I used guys that train with me. Okay. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I guess if we you don't want to make it difficult. Judo yeah, and, because... and jujitsu, it, it wouldn't yeah. be too hard for them to officiate. Yeah. And what so. would happen in the situation? How do you handle ties? I mean, is, is, is there a kind of a sudden death? Is there an overtime? Um... Simple. So, yes, this is how it works. You get one one-minute overtime. If no one scores, you're both out. Simple. Like I said, this is the beginning of it. But as it grows, we're going to keep that. Because one thing I've seen in jiu-jitsu tournaments, they go into overtime. They both pull guard. And then, they're, you know, they're working for the sweep. And somehow somebody gets an advantage. I personally don't like advantages. You get a straight point or that's it. All right. Yeah. So if you don't, you got four minutes. There's plenty of time to push it. And that's another thing. It's four minutes for a reason because we want action. We're not going to be breaking things up. Like, for example, let's say if I do a throw, we land out of bounds. Okay, you get your points from the throw, but you guys are back standing up because the fight left. Yeah. If you're rolling and you get, we'll let you work the submission. We'll give you time to get it. If you get it, you get it. If not, let's say the guy escapes the submission. Hey, well, you guys are back and you're back standing up. And why? Because spectators understand that. 
that's another thing with this, okay? A lot of my BJJ guys, they don't understand the importance of spectators. It's too focused on the athlete. Well, put me right back to where I'm at. What sport does that? Most right. sports in America have out of bounds. You you go out of bounds, you reset to a neutral start. That's yeah. it. Now, what because about without spectators? Um, how do you grow a sport? Yeah, absolutely. No, I I hear you. So, what about um, you know, you got a rule that states that both players need to attempt takedowns while standing and submissions while in the waza. Now, how do you? How do you officiate somebody making progress? Like in in freer rules rule sets, it, like for example, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it can take minutes to secure the proper position just to attempt a submission alone. So how do you even determine progress in, in that context? Well, see, if you, that's the brilliance of the rule set. It organically and naturally does it for us. Okay, I just write that that you need to do that. Okay, but here's the thing just going back to if you don't score, you can't progress in a tournament. So in BJJ, you get a lot of stalling because look, man, I get four point mount. Oh my god, I'm leaps and bounds ahead. It's becoming like soccer with the scoring, unless one athlete's just that much better than the other athlete where he's dominant. But you get two good guys together, it's very boring because. Heaven forbid I get one of those four-point moves, you know. I'm in deep trouble here. And so that's where the stalling comes from. Well, with this, here's the thing. If you don't sacrifice action, well, that's fine. Go to overtime. You both don't score. You're both out. So what's going to happen is people say, I got to score. So they're going to risk the attack. They're going to risk the submission. Why? Because if I go four minutes and we don't get anything, I don't want to risk that overtime and I'm totally out the tournament. So it naturally fixes that problem. I, there was a rule that, that Nawaza is continuous. If the downed player has grips on a standing player, what, what does that actually okay, mean? So let me explain in BJJ. If I try and just get up, like say, I don't want to do Nawaza. I'm really not encouraged or allowed to do that in a lot of tournaments which I right. think is bogus because in wrestling and judo, I can get up any time. I don't get penalized. Right. You have to keep me down if you want me down. So that's where that comes from. So you can, like I said, you can pull guard. You're just going to give the guy two points. No problem. We're not telling you what you can't do. You can do it. You can fight how you want. Let's see how it works out for you. Okay. But if you lose a grip while you're down and you're just sitting there on your butt with no control, you have to get back up. Because you have control of nothing. You can't butt scoot. You can't stall. What is kind of the, what do you envision the future of this to be um, at USA Judo tournaments? Will this always be a division at USA Judo sanctioned events? Like what, what's the next step to try and get this to grow? So part of it is getting it to grow. Eventually it, if it grows big enough, it might be separate or it might be one we keep within the national championships, you know, as we grow it, you know. But right now, it's mainly to get more people on the mat, more people with USA Judo, you know, because, look, there are some problems in the BJJ world, okay? I mean, you read the headlines. I mean, if it's something that people just desire and it becomes one of the new transitional grappling styles, hey, great. It's under Judo, okay? You get the insurance. People have to be safe set. People are vetted. They get background checks as black belts. You have organization that actually answers to someone. Okay. 
we're answering to the United States Olympic Committee in a sense because it's the same thing like wrestling. They got creative. They created beach wrestling, all these other variants. If you go to the uh, USA Wrestling um, website and see how many different styles they have, we're not doing anything different. We're just finally broadening our horizons. How did you get the word out uh, in Dallas? And and how did did, did the people who tried this out were, were mostly there at the tournament for other reasons or did you have did you reach out to local uh either wrestling or jujitsu clubs to invite them i reached out to local but it was mainly the people that were there so we they had people who are pre-registered for it who because we did advertise it you know you got the email from usa judo and then we made announcements while at the tournament actually um you've never been to the president's cup but um the dallas invitational tournament is the day before the president's cup it shares the same venue Okay. So okay. we had a lot of advertisement at the Dallas Invitational as well as the President's Cup. And they had two additional mats out because that was the biggest tournament of the year because, like I said, judo wasn't happening in a lot of our states. That tournament, they had a great turnout for both the Dallas Invitational as well as the President's Cup. The numbers were really high. Yeah, people are desperate to get back into competing, I would think, you know, and a lot of times, uh, you know, like we discussed, like you discussed earlier, that, you know, California has shut down, you, you know, the ability to run tournaments, it would seem anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's bad. So, but you know, look, BJJ's running tournaments out here. So, you know, we're going to get something going in 2022 for judo out here. Okay. You know, yeah. No, you're right. There, there have know, been so, competitions for jujitsu out there. That's yeah. right. And this is my point. We have to be just as creative in judo judo lacks creativity at the moment but no longer because they got the new team with usa judo we're doing things and it's working really wonderful and look people have to remember this uh you gotta try with trying comes failure some of these things are gonna work some aren't but that at least we're trying yeah and we have to get out of the old you know the old guard that have a lot of say and influence, which I think they shouldn't because they're not on the mats no more. You know, I'll say this in jujitsu, no matter your age, if you're a black belt, you're still on the mat with your guys. You're not just a little dictator. Oh, do this more pool and all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> there's a different level of respect, you know, but we let people, you can tell, okay, they say this stuff, but let me see them do it. Or let me see what they can do. Cause Look, I get it. If you're 65, 75, yeah, you're not moving like when you're 25. I don't expect that. Of course not, yeah. But there's a, a good friend of mine, this guy named Savage. He was in his 70s. He's a, I think he might be a black belt now, okay? But this guy at 74 is on the mat, and his name of Savage was for good reason, okay? I, I know who you're talking about. I don't know him personally. I know exactly who you're talking about, though. I've rolled. I, I've he seen, used to come to our, yes. I, yes I, I've exactly seen documentaries on him. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. That guy's inspirational, okay? Yeah, he is. It ain't many people in our judo community like that. And there's several times you'll see guys starting jujitsu at 70 and stuff. Look, jujitsu came from judo. We can do the same. You know, right now we're working on the self-defense certification program. Why? Because we got to stop teaching IJF judo like it's the only judo. This is the facts, okay? Judo is a martial art. Judo has strikes. It has everything. Most people don't know that. Why? Because we're not teaching it. That's simply why. When you ask, well, how come they don't know? No one ever showed you. No one told you you could do this with judo. Kano did not design judo to be this limited thing that we've made it to. 
This, I think Connell would agree that judo submission grappling is as much judo as anything else. Because if you look at some of the old rules of judo, it's nothing like what you see today. No, definitely not. I think I think the rules fit on one sheet of paper <laughs> it, way yeah. in the beginning. Oh, a lot like judo submission grappling. You see my point? Yeah. <laughs> rules yeah. On one sheet. That's the whole point. You know, it's, use good sense. This is, come on. And all the naysayers, because actually there was a lot of positive reviews online. It was only certain people who like read into it too much. Well, what's this? I'm like, it's plain English. Maybe this isn't your first language. That's why you're having trouble with it. But it's for a reason. Okay. Because everyone knows with sports, when you start getting pages and pages upon things, that's when we get what the IJF looks like now, where every four years they're going to change the rules because they just like, well, I don't understand this. They're complicating it. It's not that complicated. You know, it's not. How are you going to get the word out? So we're going to keep having tournaments. Here's, okay. the, here's the goal with this. Look at wrestling in this country, okay? You have the collegiate style, folk style, which is the same, synonymous words. Then you have the two Olympic styles, freestyle and Greco. Hopefully this becomes like a folk style judo for us, you know, where you can, hey, you can do this. And then you say, you know what? I think I want to give this Olympic thing a shot. And then you start doing the IJF style. That's how we do wrestling in this country. All right. You okay. start wrestling from elementary all the way to college. Right. And that's collegiate style where you wear the headgear. The rules are a little different, but it's still wrestling. And then on the summer, you know, you do freestyle or maybe Greco. Most people do freestyle over Greco. What happens in this country, a lot of the Greco wrestlers did freestyle and folk style and they couldn't make it a freestyle. So they said, let me do the Greco thing. OK, tier one wrestlers are freestyle, tier two are Greco. I want tier three to be judo. But so, yeah, developing a folk style system, judo submission grappling, it gets the guys like if we're getting guys wrestling from BJJ, they got special weapons that a guy who only does judo don't have. You know, most guys you do judo. As soon as you get to the mat work, they're lazy. It's like they just quit on you, you know, because they focus only on the throw. And these days they're even getting sloppy on the throws at a lot of these places i see the way they're doing it. i'm like oh my god this is whatever so giving people more weapons giving them a chance to do mat work you're going to learn to develop your athlete a lot better because you're going to see where their strengths truly are because they have a bigger arsenal now do you envi- do you envision do you envision actually having <laughs> Either I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but instructors specifically for this, or is this just going to continue to be a, another avenue for for any sort of grappler to test their skills? And there there won't be a structured, you, you know, um, uh, training for this. I eventually want to, you know, put together some instructor training, but right now, I mean, hey, look. It, it allows all the different grappling systems to come under one, you know, and then really co-mingle with each other and cross train. And then it's like, keeps them more open-minded. Well, let me, let me do a little of this. Let me do a little of that. Okay. Then we already have the structure as far as coaching with USA judo and all that, but we'll start doing seminars and clinics and we'll add these things together now where guys are dual ranked in jujitsu and judo, you know, Guys might do wrestling coaching on the side. This is the, look, I'm from all three. Sure. So I believe in doing them all. And it can be done. I did it. 
So, but it needs to be organic. And that's how we're trying to keep it. It, it doesn't have to be this thing, but it's like, look, man, open your mind. Because here's the deal. Some people are going to want to do it, some aren't, and that's fine. You know, it's like you want a Whopper or a Big Mac. doesn't make any difference. You're going to eat that day. Pick. But from what I've saw from the past, you know, year of going to all the tournaments, and I see, man, all these guys, they're doing both. Look, one of the guy with the biggest schools on the East Coast, he just got his black belt last year in jiu-jitsu. Okay? So they're yeah, doing it they're without doing, this already. They're doing they're it already without doing it. it. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. I'm not creating nothing new. I'm just giving them a way where they can use what they're already doing at a national tournament. And then hopefully guys will start getting the sanction and doing it locally. And it's going to grow. Because, like I said, right now, we have a problem with some of the refs and things like that where we got to fix these problems to grow it. But this gives an outlet where, like, I can risk hosting a tournament now because, hey, I don't just have to try and scrounge up whatever judo is local. If I do this, hey, you're a wrestler, you're a jiu-jitsu guy, hey, come on over to this tournament. Try us out. They'll be interested. Do you think the rule set could possibly alienate judoka, though? Do you think they no. may look at this and, and say to themselves, well, this doesn't really play to my strengths, so why should I join this? Only alienation will be by bullheaded coaches. Most guys who are training, they want to learn. Okay? And here's the thing. Look at color belts compared to only black belts may think of this. Guys who are on the development, they're just trying to get as many weapons as possible. They don't think that way. Yeah. That, that's, that's guys who have ego, and they, those are the guys who don't get on the mat no more, which you just described to me. Uh-huh. Guys who are actually on the mat, they'll take whatever you give them. They're sponges. They want to learn. They want to soak this up to do it on their opponent. All right, that's going to do it for my interview with Tabron. I would like to thank Tabron very much for coming on to the podcast once again. Now, this happened to be one of the few episodes that I needed to trim down an interview, but we did cover the the heart of the matter with regards to judo submission grappling, and I really appreciate Tabron again, once again, coming on to discuss what USA Judo is doing with this grappling format. I want to take some time to talk about continuing on the the topic of alternative judo. You know, there are a fair amount of people out there that are unhappy with the direction that judo is going. Now, personally speaking, I don't have a problem with it at the highest levels of competition because when I teach judo at my my, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu club, or whenever I do judo randori with friends or whatever the case may be, the IJF rules do not play a factor in how I practice at all. But I completely understand for a great many of you, you all are in clubs where they stick to strict competition rules. And, and most of those clubs, maybe all of them, have a pretty good reason for that. It's because they have either a competition team or they have certain competitors that they are prepping for certain competitions and they need to be practicing under a certain rule set. And, and that completely makes sense to me. So I wanted, what I wanted to talk about a little bit is just to bring into light some of the alternative judo organizations that are out there across the world. And I understand that not all countries out there have uh, alternative judo organizations. There's just, in many countries, there's just one single judo organization and they all follow the International Judo Federation rule sets. And that's just the way that it is. But 
in countries like obviously certainly in the United States, but in Australia, in Great Britain, in Oceania, in in uh, in Ireland, and even in Germany, there are alternative judo organizations that are committed to preserving traditional Kodokan judo. Now, I have gone ahead and compiled a short list of organizations that if you guys are not aware of that exist out there. So starting with with uh, with the UK, you've got Judo for All UK, and that's headed by Samson Samson. He's an excellent judo instructor. I, I'm sure many of you have seen his videos online. And while I have no doubt that he's got membership with the BJA, this is his own organization, and he doesn't he doesn't stick to tradition or he doesn't stick to the International Judo Federation rule sets when he teaches judo. You've got the British Judo Council uh, as well in the United States, you've got AAU Judo. That's the organization headed by Steve Scott. You've got the USA Traditional Kodokan Judo. There's also the Worldwide Martial Arts Association. Now, if I recall correctly, that was Phil Porter's organization before he passed away. But that seems to have become an organization that encompasses all martial arts and not just judo. In Australia, you have the International Budo Federation and you also have the Australian Kodokan Judo Association. In Germany, you have the, if I get this right, uh, Deutsche Don Collegium. In Ireland, you've got an organization called the Northern Ireland Judo Association. And many of these alternative organizations fall under the global banner of the World Judo Federation. Now, it's quite possible that some of these organizations are now defunct due to the coronavirus pandemic. And I have no doubt that there are many more organizations. They are just really hard to find because I don't know what it is about the judo community as a whole, but... (laughs) We're not as tech savvy as many other martial arts communities. Like, there's still web pages I come across for judo that look like they were built in 1998 and best used with a Netscape browser. So here's the thing that it doesn't really bother me too much, but it does raise my eyebrows a little bit every time I hear somebody complain about the IJF rule sets, the the ban on leg grabs, the ban on reverse Sayanagi. You know, you have these alternative judo organizations out there, so why not support them? You know, it seems a lot of people that do a lot of complaining out there, they just begrudgingly accept, well, I'm just going to be part of the national governing body for judo in this country, even though I don't really like competing or practicing under the rule sets that are that are enforced today. And here's the thing, in my opinion, when it comes down to this, it really comes down to rank recognition. It's it's not about doing traditional judo. I mean, people want to do that, but they want their national governing body that falls under the umbrella in, in, of the IJF to provide these alternative rule sets and stuff. Now, USA Judo is doing this. They, they are being uh, really a leader in this regard because I don't think... Uh, national judo governing bodies across the world have alternative rule sets. This is the first that I've heard of it from a from an official uh, governing body. Now, look, I'm not bashing the USJA or the USJF, but if they have, they are not recognized by the International Judo Federation as the official national governing body in the United States. 
So it's USA Judo and USA Judo is being a leader in that regard. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not suggesting that the USJA, USJF or AAU Judo do not have a place in growing Judo in this country. They, they, they play an important role in that. And of the four organizations, AAU Judo has probably done the most in trying to do something unique and different with freestyle Judo. But Judo Submission Grappling Tournaments, if there are more in the future, which I'm almost certain there will be, that can be a game changer for, for a lot of people. But going back to rank recognition, I think there are many people out there that are afraid to be a part of these organizations because if they earn a Shodan or Nidan or, or ranks above that uh, through these alternative organizations, they are not going to be recognized by the national governing body for judo. So I think for a lot of people out there, you have to pick what's important to you or you can pick both. So to me, if you, if there's a tournament out there that you want to be a part of that's sponsored by the national governing body, then pay the dues for to be a member of the national governing body and pay the dues to 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 join that tournament and and go ahead go ahead and enjoy yourself. But if you want to be in judo for other reasons and and competing in national events does is not important to you, then join the organization that suits your needs. And I I'm sure I've said it on the podcast before. I have a judo rank of Nidan through the Judo Black Belt Association, which is the Yudanshikai for AAU Judo. But my current rank through USA Judo is, is Shodan. And I'm perfectly okay with, with that situation. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me anymore. Because for me, I was awarded rank after I completed a test. I was evaluated. I was examined. And I was awarded that rank uh, by people that I trust and respect. And anybody who knows, knows that the JBBA, the Judo Black Belt Association, is not a rank mill at all. And I'm proud of that organization and I'm, I'm proud of my rank. And I was promoted by people who already have high ranks in the so-called recognized Judo organizations in the United States. So t- to me, I'm good with it. And I think for people who want to do traditional Judo, You've got to you've got to be okay with that as well, because the IJF is not going to change its rules for you. It doesn't matter what country you're from, how much money you've got, how much influence you have, what you think, whatever the case may be. The IJF to the IJF, you don't matter. Your opinion does not matter, and really, the opinion of most other people out there does not matter when it comes to the IJF and how they are structuring their rules. They they create a rule set based on X amount of criteria, whatever the case may be, and that's what they're going to do. And, you know, you could you could suck it up and complain, you, you know, not complain and just, just deal with it, or you can support your local organizations that does things a different way, and, and there's plenty out there, I'm sure. I, I've, I've read off a list of, of about eight that are out there. Now, along the lines of alternative judo, of practicing alternative judo, and even teaching alternative judo, I recently purchased a video off of the Judo Fanatics website and it's called the Ultimate Takedown Series and Travis Stevens is the instructor on this video. Now, I've never openly bragged about this before, but I am a master at getting great deals on Judo Fanatics or BJJ Fanatics. I um so this Ultimate Takedown Series is for sale 
on BJJ Fanatics for about $147 if I'm not mistaken. But the same video on Judo Fanatics is being sold for $58.80. Now, I didn't just buy it at that price. Like I said, I'm a master at this site. So I've been saving up coupon codes and I wait for the daily deal. So between the coupon codes and then the daily deal and the right positioning of the sun and the moon and the stars and everything like that, I got this video for $2.47. No, I, I did not. I did not get it for that cheap, but I think people who are in the know know how to work the system a little bit. So I got a really great deal on this video. I think I paid under $30, honestly. And then I got another coupon code um, that I could use to get like 45% off another video so that I ended up buying the Kanto Choke series by Flavio Kanto. So I really had a good day the day that I purchased this video, but in terms of the content of this video, it is perfect if you are an instructor looking to learn how to teach judo for students that are not interested in IJF judo, students that may be in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, wrestlers that are looking to become, you know, judoka, whatever the case may be. This video series is by far the best instructional I have ever seen in my life. Now, specifically for judo. And the reason why I say that, it I didn't know this about Travis. I really didn't know he was an excellent instructor. I, I had no idea. I knew he was, a, he was an amazing competitor. I didn't know he was an excellent instructor. And I'm not talking about what you see in those two or three minute video clips on YouTube. That's just window dressing, right? That's not, that's not the meat and potatoes of the subjects that he covers. In this video, he reminds me of my old judo coach. Now, my old judo coach, who's since passed away, uh, did a lot of judo up in the Boston area. I believe he earned his shodan at Tohoku in, in Boston. I know he spent time with Jimmy Pedro at his club. I know he spent a lot of time with Jason Morris at his club because his kids were uh, students of Jason Morris. I don't know how long he spent with those instructors, but one thing I do know is that Travis sounds a heck of a lot like my old judo coach. or And I'm going to guess that my coach, I don't know how long he spent with Jimmy Pedro, but he picked up a lot of information on how to teach judo through Jimmy and through Jason Morris. Because Travis reminded me of my old coach. The way that he teaches, the way that he breaks things down for adults, it's unlike anything I have ever seen in any video series. And if you are a guy, especially if you're a judo coach that's teaching judo for Brazilian jiu-jitsu, this video is a must-have. Even if you end up getting it on BJJ Fanatics and you end up paying $147, it's well worth the price. Now, this is also one of the few videos that I've watched that I think is pretty good for maybe intermediate Brazilian jiu-jitsu players just students themselves and not instructors. So I, I would say maybe blue belt level and above, probably purple belt. Really guys that have some experience competing. And if I didn't say it already, this video is definitely geared more for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu players looking to improve their stand-up game. But if you are a coach teaching alternative judo, um, 
you need to be aware of what to look out for from other types of grappling styles that you may come across. And this is exactly what Travis does. He breaks down how you would deal with a wrestler, how you deal with those filthy guard jumpers. And for jujitsu guys, how you would deal with uh, fighting a judo guy. And he also goes into great depth and detail on Kazushi and off-balancing it in a way that I've not really seen anybody attempt to teach since my own coach. He goes over drills. He goes over what to do in certain left versus right situation. He has pretty good breakdown on grip fighting and what you should be doing when you're out there. And not just against judo guys, but against wrestlers and against uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys. The things that you need to look out for. This video series, and this is called Volume 1. I don't know if there's an Ultimate Takedown Series Volume 2, but this Ultimate Takedown Series Volume 1 is hours upon hours of content. So in that regard, even if you paid the $147 on BJJ Fanatics, you're you're still getting a really good deal in terms of, of, uh, of content because I'm pretty sure they sell expensive stuff on that site that you're only getting an hour. Now, here's the other thing about this video series that is very underrated. In the hours upon hours of content, there isn't anything dedicated to teaching you how to throw. You know, he doesn't go into any detail on how he does his Sayanagi or or Uchimara or whatever the case may be. That is not the objective of this video series. And, and, and it's really about time that... Judo videos out there, they they really need to cover the gray areas or, or the what I like to call the soft skills of judo. Like you could go onto YouTube if you want to learn how to throw uchimata. There's hundreds of videos out there on how to do uchimata, but you, you how many videos are out there on learning how to to move your wrist left to right on on how to position your forearm with the other person's forearm if you want to break the sleeve grip or how many videos out there that teach you how to move your opponents in a more meaningful way than just saying you know pull here on the lapel or or move your sleeve in this way like it's hard for me to explain unless you actually saw the hours upon hours of content but and I haven't finished watching the entire video series I've probably watched about three hours worth of instructional on this and for myself this is what I'm going to be using moving forward when I teach judo in my uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu club there's there's no question about it this is this is really solid stuff and I also think this video series is really good for uh, judo guys that are looking to transition into Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and competing in those competitions Travis really breaks down the things you that you got to look out for things that jiu-jitsu guys will do in those competitions you know and forget guard jumping how about defending guard pulling and and being able to take advantage in, in situations that as a judo guy you just you just don't ever see because pulling guard is illegal in judo so to me if you're an instructor out there that teaches judo or is interested in teaching judo that that is beyond the scope of International Judo Federation rules, this video is a must-have in your library. You know, and maybe you've been around decades upon decades and you don't need this and that's fine too, but for guys like myself that's been around for for only 16 years that is looking to teach alternative judo rules and a, a alternative judo training 
to a recreational adult crowd that does other forms of grappling, this is a great video series to have. And I'm absolutely going to be using a lot of what is taught here. There are things that I've uh, that I was taught by my instructor that Travis covered, but not in the way that Travis covered it. So if you're short on money, wait on the deal, the daily deal. See if you could find a coupon code, and maybe you could pick up this video for about five bucks. <laughs> no, it's not. It's never that cheap, but you know what I mean. All right, that's gonna wrap up another episode of this hideous podcast. If you made it this far, I appreciate you. I'm going to have an after party. That's always so much fun. And I'm going to have a, I'm going to look to have another episode over the next uh, 2 to 3 weeks. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Welcome to my after party. I have a few things that I want to get off my chest. Not in a bad way, of course. I have currently reinstalled on my PlayStation 4, which is really performing badly lately. It's it's really... I, I, the fan is just running constantly. It, it, it sounds like it's about to die. But regardless of that, I reinstalled Horizon Zero Dawn on my PlayStation 4 because I just saw that Horizon Forbidden West just came out and I've chosen to play Horizon Zero Dawn from start to finish again because that game is one of the few games on my list that is a 10 out of 10. I would put that game up there with the likes of Grand Theft Auto V, uh, with the likes of God of War, uh, Uncharted 2, and certainly uh, The Last of Us. The, the Horizon Zero Dawn is a 10 out of 10 game for me. Uh, oh, of course, The Witcher. Witcher 3, Wild Hunt. That was just uh, an amazing game, which I, I'm going to get into The Witcher in, the, in a bit here, uh, the show. But Horizon Zero Dawn is an awesome game. Uh, it's got a female lead, which is not very common in games, and... I'm I'm replaying it again because the last time I played it was a couple of years ago and I'm not going to give away the story but it's a really really awesome story and it's got some really great acting and really great controls and action it's a lot of fun I love games where I can sneak around and kill things and like that that's why I loved Assassin's Creed so much um Assassin's Creed 4 was a 10 out of 10 out of 10 Black Flag that was a 10 out of 10 for me personally so I'm playing that game just so I can, I, I'm going to take my time with it because I know Horizon Forbidden West is going to eventually come down in price. I, these days, I refuse for the most part to pay full price for video games. I, I just stopped doing it years ago. I think the last time I did it, and it was worth it, was for Star Wars a Fallen Order. That game was an awesome game. I would give that about a 9 out of 10. But 
you know, nowadays like that game can be had for like 19 bucks, I think. So I'm going to wait until the price drops. Um, and, and I'm just not going to go online and read the spoilers because I, I don't do that kind of thing. Now, going back to one of the games that is a 10 out of 10 for me, Witcher 3. The Witcher television show has already pissed me off. And and I'm on episode 6. And you know what? Screw it. I'm going to spoil it. I don't care. I, I, I Because really, this show... I don't know why they're doing what they're doing with the characters. Why did they have to kill Roach? Why did they have to kill Eskel? Makes no sense at all. And the story of the Witcher in the books and certainly in the video games was great. Just put that on television and let me enjoy the characters for who they are in the stories. Don't think that you can do something better than what was already done. It's so frustrating for me to watch because as I'm watching this, you can almost get this sense of hubris from the producers, from the showrunners, who all the people in charge of putting this show, they're basically saying, F you, we're going to do the show that we want to do, and we're going to kill off characters that you cared about because it's our show, and we're going to tell our story because I think our story is better. No, it's not. Seriously, I, I really hate when television shows do things like this. And, you know, speaking of shows that I can't stand when they change things around and things like that, I'm pretty sure I ranted about this on my last after party. But, God, the book of Boba Fett was really, really terrible. It was a huge disappointment for me. So much so that I am pretty much done with anything related to Star Wars. I, I'm just done with it. I now if not if when the Mandalorian comes back I'll watch that show because it was really weird with the book of Boba Fett yep spoilers blah 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 whatever like episodes five and six it stopped becoming about Boba Fett and it became about the Mandalorian again I was like all right I can live with this because the Mandalorian's awesome and for me I'm sick and tired of pretending that I like Star Wars the way that it is. I don't like it anymore. The Mandalorian is the exception. But you know what? I say that. And if they come out with a Grogu sword where Grogu has a dark saber and he starts killing everybody, like, I'll watch that show. That that show would be awesome. That's what kind of what I was waiting for is for maybe the Mandalorian, the little gift that, that he was giving the Grogu was actually the dark saber. And maybe that Grogu would have cut off Luke Skywalker's head. That would have been a show that I would have really liked to have seen. But no, it, it didn't become that show and it's just it's just silly. I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I want something more out of Star Wars than Disney is willing to give me. And and I I'm just I'm I'm done with the franchise. Or what I should say is that this is probably going to be the last time I'm going to be upset by anything that Disney does with relation to Star Wars. I'm just going to be I'll watch it because I'm a chump. But other than that, I'll just Unless I love it, I'll talk about it. But other than that, I'll, I'll watch it. And if it sucks, I'm just going to turn off the TV. And, and quite frankly, I'm on the verge of, of canceling Disney Plus anyway. It's 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 been well over uh, almost two years now. Has it been two years? 
it's not really a great service. I mean, I have my nefarious ways to watch movies that I want to watch. And I feel like I'm paying for services that I, I don't really use that much. And I, re- I recently found out that you can have an Amazon Prime membership and have two guests accounts on your Amazon Prime membership. I didn't know that. I had no idea. All this time I've been paying for two Prime memberships because I'm a fool. And I had a, I created a second Prime membership a few years ago just so I could hide Christmas spending for my wife. Um, because, because she had the account and anytime I would order something, it's like, what are you getting? And I, I was like, I didn't want to deal with that for Christmas. So I got my own prime account, but I, I didn't know that you could have guest accounts. So I'm going to be canceling my prime. But speaking of prime, I've been watching this show called Reacher. It's a really good show. My wife doesn't seem to like it very much, but I really like it a lot. As a matter of fact, my, my wife and I, it, it almost came to, uh, divorce grounds here because she said, I don't know about this Reacher. He, he's not a good actor. He reminds me of that that uh, that actor you like, he, uh, John Claude, like C-L-A-W-E-D. That's what she said. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. hold on a minute. You cannot insult JC like that. And she was like, oh, he's terrible. I, I said, Stacy, one more word. I'm going to the courthouse tomorrow. Uh, I, I'm serious. <laughs> You cannot, you cannot insult Jean-Claude Van Damme in this household ever. That, that's, that is a fireable offense if you work for me. And that's, that's a divorce if, if that kind of language keeps happening in this house. I mean, that's, I love Jean-Claude Van Damme. I'm told that he's going to be doing his last movie based on and he's going to have all of his enemy characters in this movie. So we're talking about Tong Po, we're talking about um Chung Lee and every other character is apparently going to make an appearance in this movie. I can't wait to see it. it, it it's going to be like the greatest movie ever. Let's see. I finished this fantastic western called 1883. I just watched the final episode that it got released today, which is uh, as of this recording, it's February 27th. Um, what a fantastic show. It's like supposed to be a prequel to Yellowstone, which is also a fantastic show. The way that the show ended, it didn't give me any hope that there would be a season two. But um, I've really grown to love Westerns and shows like that, good Westerns. There was... One that I watched a few years ago called Longmire, that was really good. Then Yellowstone came out, which is just a fantastic show. And 1883 is just, I like it even better. I I wish they would continue with the storyline. I I love Westerns now. They're great. It's just um, really great writing, really great acting. Who would ever thought Tim McGraw and Faith Hill great country singers would be great actors but they, but they are you know and, and i think my love for these kind of shows that take place in the 1800s and such like that really started off with dances with wolves which is my favorite movie of all time that period of time with uh american settlers going on the oregon trail going out west and having to deal with all the harsh realities of trying to cross central uh, you, you know, the plains of the United States. It's beautiful country, 
But my goodness, that must have been unforgiving for those people go, trying to get across. And just what a wild time. What a wild land that must have been like. But boy, I would have, in another life, I would have loved to have seen what this country looked like in, in, in that period of time. And let's see, on Netflix, I'm watching this really fabulous show called Inventing Anna. I have not finished it yet, but this story is amazing and it's apparently all true. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the particulars of the real life story, but I'm not about to look it up and find out because I want to see where this story goes in the Netflix show and then read for real what actually happened. I I don't think there's going to be it's going to be such a, a, a stark departure from the original story, but we'll see. But either way, Inventing Anna, I highly recommend that show. Let's see, anything else? There's a new Viking show. I haven't started watching it yet, but I, I guess it's called, um, it takes place after the Viking show on the History Channel, 100 years into the future in that timeline. I stopped watching Vikings after they killed Athelstan because he was like my favorite character on that show. I didn't like that Floki killed them off. It, it, it's the same thing what happened with me with The Walking Dead. I was already getting a little bit worn with The Walking Dead. Um, and then they killed off Glenn and then that was it for me. I, I ref- I've not watched another episode of The Walking Dead ever since. I don't even know if Rick is alive in that show. I I, I could not care less. I, I As soon as they killed off Glenn, that was it. I was done. It was just... And the way that they killed off Glenn in The Walking Dead, I, I just... You know, it was so horrific. And it's not even the violent. It wasn't, well, yeah, maybe it was a, like the, the violence bothered me a little bit about that scene, but because it was him, I just, that was it. It, it was too, it was too horrible for me. It, it, um, I used to like that show and, and, and Vikings was really great up until for me when they killed off Athelstan. I, I just, I was done. Season one was fantastic. Season two was great. Season three, I think it was season three where they killed them off. And, and then I was like, okay, well, that that's it for me. I, I don't care anymore. So let's see. Anything else here? Um, oh, I don't know if I ever said it. I, I finally watched Squid Game. Wow. What a show. I, 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 if you haven't watched Squid Game, I think I was the last person in this world to watch Squid Game. Actually, and I take that back. My wife hasn't watched it. So she is now officially the last person in the world to have not watched Squid Game. But if there, in case there's somebody out there that has not watched Squid Game, it's well worth it. It's, uh, you're going to have to read subtitles the, the entire way through because it's all, uh, Korean actors. But it's a tremendous show. 